Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Don't Get Me Wrong by Time Cat. These Akron rockers are a featured Ohio musical artists tonight. So hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you a little bit more about them and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everyone. Steve, I've got a topic we haven't done before. Oh, yeah? What's this one about? It's death by hunting. Do you have any idea how many hunting accidents happen? You know, uh, probably a lot. I remember one time I went down to just do some hunting with uh, my friends and we had one person who never shot a gun before or a rifle. He put the scope right up against his eye and pulled the trigger and boom, cut a big circle right around his eye. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, listen to this. According to a report just last year by the International Hunter Education Association, nearly 1,000 people in the United States and Canada are accidentally shot by hunters every year. And of that 1,000, about 75 of them will die. The thing about getting shot by a hunter, hopefully you're in a position where the person who shot you is going to go get help for you because they're really the only person with a chance of saving your life. Yeah, but I hope so. Unfortunately, some people are absolute cowards. I've got two stories out of Ohio tonight. People killed while they were hunting. The first one, an accident where the killer wrote an anonymous letter apologizing for it, but refusing to identify himself. And the second, a mystery that might have been an accident or might have been cold-blooded murder. So let's go to Gallia County. That's a rural stretch in southeast Ohio along the Ohio River. 
If you're pushing the speed limit, you could probably get to Charleston, West Virginia in just a half hour from Gallia County. Now, I don't know this area of the state very well, but I'm guessing there's a whole lot of room for hunting because there are only 31,000 people in the entire county. It's so rural. The county seat of Gallipolis has only 3,500 people, making it a village. In Gallia County, there is a crossroads called Bidwell inside the Morgan Township area of the county. And it's there on December 2, 2013, that 45-year-old Larry Bradley ventured out in the early morning hours to go hunting. It was the first day of deer hunting's gun season. Larry Bradley was born in 1968 to Larry and Edna Bradley in Gallipolis. He was a Marine veteran who later served in the Navy Reserve. He survived two wars, having deployed for both Desert Storm and Operation Iraqi Freedom. He was a baseball coach and had four children and five grandchildren. Larry was also an experienced deer hunter. And that day, he settled into a tree stand near Thaxton Road. He was 18 feet from the ground, patiently poised for his prey. It's there that a bullet found him. It entered his back and passed through his torso, just below the ribcage. Larry called his wife, Denise. He didn't tell her that he'd been shot, only that he needed help. But by the time he was found in the tree stand, he was dead. Three weeks later, as Christmas approached, his killer appeared to grow a bit of conscience. He penned a letter to the Gallia County Sheriff, though he didn't put his name to it. I'm going to read the letter to you. As of December 2, my life has changed forever. I was hunting on the land that borders the Russell Farm, tracking a deer I shot just after daybreak. I knew I was trespassing, hunting on land I didn't have permission to hunt on. When I shot at the deer I had been tracking, I heard someone started yelling. It scared me so much because I didn't have permission to be there hunting, and I couldn't afford a fine. So I ran back to public hunting land and finished my day hunting. It wasn't until I heard on the news later that day I knew what had happened. I am so sorry for the hurt and pain that I caused on that day. Can you please tell the family I am so sorry? I have told no one of this, not even my wife or kids. This is eating me like a cancer. Please tell the family I am sorry. My life will never be the same. I am not a bad man, just a very scared and sorry man. Now, there's no way to prove, of course, that the letter came from the actual killer. And Gallia County Sheriff Joe Browning said he couldn't be sure it was genuine. But if it was, it appeared to be from someone aching with remorse and practically begging for a nudge to do the right thing. That 2013 deer hunting season turned out to be a particularly dangerous one in Ohio. Larry was one of five hunters killed in a season that lasted just seven days. But by no means did that mean Gallia County was used to losing hunters. Bradley's death haunted the community and, of course, his family. 
A part of our life is gone now, his wife, Denise Bradley, told WSAZ Channel 3 TV. She said her husband fought in two wars and he would never have left a man behind. Another quote from her, it's like all those memories are still there, but he's not. The people or person that did this do not know the pain that they have caused all of us. Denise said her youngest son no longer wants to sing the song America. It hurts too much to reach the lyrics that say, land where my fathers died. Last year, on the sixth anniversary of Larry's death, his brother Robbie Bradley renewed the family's plea for the hunter to step up. If it was an accident, so be it, he said. We can forgive that. Just come forward and give us the closure that we need. Anyone with information about this case can leave it on the sheriff's office anonymous tip line. That's 740-446-6555. Since so many stories I read on this always include a primer on hunter safety, allow me to keep up the tradition. Here goes. Know exactly where your bullet will go, where it's going to land, and that there is nothing beyond it. Be alert when hunting near developed areas and trails. Wear bright orange or other highly visible clothes. And tell someone where you will be hunting and what time you'll be back. Now, our second story tonight is an older incident. This one from Miggs County back in 1992. Ronald Pohl was 57 years old and from Dayton and usually hunted in the Dayton and Fairborn areas. But on May 9 of that year, he planned a special trip with his son, Mike, to hunt turkeys in western Miggs County. The two men went into a wooded area of Salem Township together that morning, but separated to hunt. It was the last time Mike Pohl saw his dad alive. Mike heard a gunshot in the distance sometime between 10 and 10.30 that morning, followed by three or four more shots 15 minutes later. At noon, the two men were supposed to meet up, but Ronald Pohl didn't show. Mike and another hunter went looking for his dad, and when they failed to find him, they called for help. The Ohio Division of Wildlife and the local fire department personnel launched a search. Two hours later, they found him in the woods off Price Strong Road. He had been shot with buckshot in the back at close range. When his son had heard those gunshots, he had been on the opposite side of the property where his father was eventually found. Several years ago, Miggs County Sheriff Keith Wood recalled the case for a publication called News Watchman. At the time of Ronald Pohl's death, Wood was an Ohio Division of Wildlife officer and part of the search party that had found him. This is one of those cases that has haunted me through the years, he said, but I still have hope that we will find out what happened. Mr. Pohl's family deserves answers. And they sure do. Pohl's other son, Matthew Pohl, told the news watchman, my dad has six grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren who never had the opportunity to know him. Anyone with information on this case should call the Mix County Sheriff. 
That number is 740-992-3371. I couldn't find much about this case when it happened, and I don't know if the coroner ever offered an opinion as to whether he thought the shooting was an accident. But hearing Sheriff Wood describe a close-range shot to the back certainly made me wonder if it was deliberate, especially since Ohio was home to a serial killer who targeted outdoorsmen. Thomas Lee Dillon didn't kill Ronald Pohl. We know that. He was arrested six months before Ronald's death. But Dillon did kill at least five men in southeastern Ohio, sniping at them with a high-power rifle as they went about their activities. Donald Welling was jogging in Tuscarawas County. Jamie Paxton was deer hunting in Belmont County. Kevin Loring was deer hunting in Muskingum County. Claude Hawkins was fishing in Coshocton County. And Gary Bradley was fishing in Noble County. Thomas Lee Dillon was born in Canton and lived in nearby Magnolia, where he was a husband, father to a son, and worked as a draftsman for Canton's Municipal Water Department. But he had a deadly hobby. He frequently drove hundreds of miles immersed in his own thoughts, fantasizing about being a special forces soldier out hunting enemy combatants. In April of 1989, his fantasy crossed over into reality. For the next three years, he stalked Ohio's outdoorsmen in parks, camping areas, and rural stretches. He said each time he killed, it was preceded by a voice that told him to do it. He left nothing behind, no evidence, no casings, no forensic evidence, no witnesses. The only reason authorities started putting the murders together was because Dylan bragged about them in a letter to the newspaper. But his reign of terror ended in 1992 after a high school friend of his recognized that a behavioral profile compiled by the FBI fit his buddy to a T, especially the part where the killer likely killed animals too. The friend of Dylan's knew Dylan had been shooting family pets that he happened across. And indeed, Dylan later guessed he had killed a thousand animals for the fun of it. Dylan pleaded guilty to the murders in July of 1993, and he died in prison in 2011 at the age of 61 from an unspecified illness. In addition to the five men who died, Dylan also remained a suspect in a Pennsylvania case that he refused to talk about and wounded one Ohio man who got away. Steve, do you remember the story of Thomas Lee Dillon? No, I did not remember that. The one thing I remember about him was we had a reporter at the Akron Beacon Journal that he took a liking to. And he would call her routinely, and she ended up doing an entire series based on his prison confessions. It was a very controversial series, you know, the idea that people were actually giving him room to speak, especially if he was a narcissist. It's not something that you wanted to reward. Uh, But on the other hand, it really gave you a lot of insight into the mind of a serial killer. Well, that seems like a good time to bring in our Ohio mystery listener to be an armchair detective. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Well, joining us tonight is our armchair detective is Alicia Andrews from Green, Ohio. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Paula. Heidi, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I am 23 years old, and I'm a first-time mom of a seven-month-old beautiful baby girl. We just moved to Green, and we love all of our neighbors. I work as a medical products company for hospice patients. And basically what it is, is we supply the hospice patients to provide them with comfort, the things like their oxygen and nebulizers and hospital beds and all that stuff. So I deal with um, also picking up the equipment once the patient passes, And I'm the liaison between the first time that the family speaks to the company for the hospice, the nurses talk to me as well when they order it, and um, the one who speaks to you once your family member has passed as well. Well, that doesn't sound like a job that's going to be in jeopardy anytime soon. So good for you. That's got to be a a really important industry right now as baby boomers are aging and, and more people are reaching that stage of life. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun to me because that's pretty much, I'll always say this my whole life. I'm not very good at Many things I can kind of pick them up, but my favorite thing and the one thing that I am very good at is loving and helping people. So it's why I think God placed me in that job. So, oh, what good for you! I'm glad that ma- that matched perfectly. Yes. Well, listen, tonight's story is about hunting. Do you know much about hunting? Uh, yes, my family all collects guns. <laughs> Uncle Danny, he uh, he likes to hunt. He gets deer and he brings it home every year to make deer jerky. Well, then I got to ask you, were you surprised at the beginning of this episode, I talked about 
uh, how nearly a thousand people a year are shot by hunters and about 75 of them will die. Did that surprise you or did you know that hunting could have those really serious risks? I'd like to say that it would surprise me, but honestly, no, because the people that go hunting, and I don't mean this for everybody, this is a generalized thing. If you don't fit into that category, everybody's different. I'm a believer in that. But a lot of the people that go are not safe. They don't take the proper precautions. And I actually had a member in the church that I went to growing up that my poppy was a pastor of, who her husband, I believe, was shot while hunting, and he did pass away. So... It's not unfamiliar to me because they don't follow the guidelines you're supposed to follow. Right, right. You know, I can just see how dangerous that could be. You're sharing a public, oftentimes sharing a public hunting ground with who knows who else is out there. And you're always hoping that everybody is taking the precautions they need. But you don't always know what guns are pointed in your direction. Mm. And Mm -hmm. clearly that's the case of our first one here, Larry Bradley. What did you think about this story? It was really, honestly, truly heartbreaking. And some part of me feels like it wasn't accidental, but it could have been as well. I mean, you never really know being out there. I will say that hunters are supposed to be experienced in listening for the animals, because the forest, you know, is very noisy compared to what people actually think. Um, and when it's out there, you are to be listening to the sounds of the different animals as they're moving. So, you know, exactly what you're hunting. For instance, if you're squirrel hunting, you're going to pick an area where, you know, squirrels are going to nest, where they're going to be fluent out there. And you're listening for the sound that a squirrel might make so that you can get that bird hunting. Same thing. Deer same thing. You're going to look for, you're going to look for track marks. You're going to be experienced in that. And I honestly, I mean, you can tell sort of the difference. I mean, yes, the forest is noisy, but it kind of, it it shocks me. Then again, Hey, you never can see when you get to that deer and you're in that set of mind, like, yes, I got it. I'm going to get this first kill. You're not looking around you at that time. You stop listening. So it is also possible that it could have been accidental. I just don't know if I believe that. Yeah, the um, letter that he wrote was, you know, there was a part of me that felt bad that he couldn't bring himself to identify himself because I think he wanted to. And frankly, I wonder if he would have felt better if he would have owned up to it, uh, if it was accidental. But I, I just think... It would just poison you to live every day knowing that you killed somebody and you're not taking responsibility. How can you go the rest of your life every day knowing that? When accidents happen, when you know in deep down inside of you as a human being that it wasn't intentional, your first thought is, I'm going to assist in making sure that this wrong is righted. So to me... It almost seems like he didn't want to admit that he was wrong. Maybe it's because he really did the wrong thing, or I guess he could be, you know, scared 
I, I can understand that. But to not come back to the cops and be like, it was an accident. I initially ran away to hear and find out that he really did hurt somebody and not be like, oh, my gosh, that was a wrong that I did. It was an accident. I know I'm clear of conscience that I didn't do this. And if I took a lie detector test, if I was there, if they looked at the evidence, it was completely an accident, then he would have been acquitted for that. But he didn't do that. And that never hit his head. So part of me feels like it wasn't accidental at that point. I thought it was interesting that he said, I fired my gun. I heard screaming. I didn't know I hit anybody till I heard about it on the news later. And I'm thinking, if you didn't think it at the time, then why do you think, why do you think it now? I mean- what was the clue? You know, if the clue was, oh, I remember now when I shot, fired my gun, somebody was screaming, then you had to have known at that time. You know, <laughs> if your gunshot immediately leads to a scream, you know, stop, drop and start looking. Listening to his family just begging for this guy to come forward. It's it sounds like if we have to forgive you, we'll forgive you. But we still need to know who you are. I mean, they still will always have that hanging over their heads, not knowing who did it and how important that is for them. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I really think that when you're sorry and somebody's begging you for the apology of that, knowing that you've hurt somebody's family, again, it eats you alive on the inside to where you're like, no, I did it. It was me. If it was really eating you alive, not only would your own family who lives with you and your kids be able to tell a difference in your composure and how you're dealing with things, but me being a wife myself, I can tell when my husband is off. It's just, you know, it's sort of that special sort of intimate bond that you have with somebody. If he is that distraught and his wife's never noticed how distraught he is, you know, like, or maybe she has because she never talked about it. Obviously, they never got another letter. But I just don't know that his, his, his apology is as sincere as he would want us to believe. That's a good point. Yeah, he said that he had not told his family, but you're right. That family, how do they not know something's going on? I mean, you just can't hide something like that. You took another human life that's got to show up in your personality day to day. Right, unless you're a homicidal maniac or a murderer, you know, if that's your forte. Now, the Ronald Pohl story, I think, may be a candidate for murder as opposed to accidental manslaughter because, you know, that sheriff said he was shot at close range. And then his son, Mike, when he was telling the detectives about when he heard the gunfire, he had heard a shot and then there was several minutes had passed and then he heard more shots and I'm like, well, I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that was, might have been a, an intentional shooting? I do. I absolutely do. I think it was one or two things here. I see a lot because I'm an investigation discovery junkie. And I see a lot of those moments where they want you to turn around because the killer has some sort of remorse or knows you and will have you turn around so they can't see your face as they shoot you. Like their intention is if you turn around, this makes it easier for me to do. Or again, it could be somebody just in the thrill of the kill because they're being a hunter, but they're actually hunting humans and he's unaware that somebody's behind him and they're so sly and sneaky that they just shot him 
as close as they could for the thrill of that. But I honestly feel like it's more along the lines of somebody personally knew him and shot him from behind because they didn't want to see his face, but wanted to kill him. Wow. I, you know, from what I read, it was just him and his son, Mike. If somebody had shot him who knew him, they would have probably had to stalk him to to get up there. Otherwise, I would imagine his son, Mike, would have told the detectives there was somebody else that that he suspected. So interesting point. Interesting point. It was really amazing to me how quickly this death happened time-wise with the Thomas Lee Dillon shootings. But Thomas Lee Dillon was arrested just a few months before uh, Ronald Pohl was killed. Do you, I mean, you're probably not old enough to remember this, but had you ever heard of the Thomas Lee Dillon killings? I did not. I, I've never heard of it. It was um, it was pretty crazy to me. I didn't realize there was a, you know, a murderer in Ohio. I mean, I know they exist, you know, but I didn't know there was like a serial killer in a way who would just go about in the forest hunting people. Yeah, exactly. And from what I understand, he was trying to fantasize about being a soldier who was out looking for enemies and coming across hunters and fishermen, and in one case, a jogger, and just picking them off with his high-powered rifle. What a... I mean, it's amazing that he was ever caught. If his friend hadn't recognized something he had read about this case, he probably would never have gotten caught, because what kind of evidence can you leave behind when you're picking people off with a high-powered rifle at a distance? It seems so crazy to me, and excuse me if I laugh or chuckle a little bit here, but dude thought that he, he fantasized about wanting to be in the war. And my thing is, he never would have even made it to that point, because when they do a psych eval, well, I guess there are a few that get away from that. But, you know, when you go to war, you... I have a, a grandpa who was in the Korean War, and the one story that he tells is um, they were in the forest going to Korea, and the way that the uh, women and children of Korea at the time were being treated in the middle of the night, he was hearing these footsteps with all of his troops, and there was running, like, coming towards him, and they're like, halt, stop, we're going to shoot, and they don't stop, and then, you know, they repeat it, but in Korean language this time and they don't stop. So they open fire. And when they go to discover is that there are women and children laying there, they were running away from their, you know, Korea at the time, because what they were experiencing was so much worse than being shot by the enemy. Like, but that, that, that lives with him to this day, you know, like he was in the war and yes, he loved serving his country, but that stuff lives with him to this day. He didn't want to shoot any open civilians. So for this guy to fantasize about being in the war, I mean, that's just not how it really works. If you go to war with a sober mind, you come out another person because you have to shoot people that you don't want to shoot. You don't want to shoot another human being. You know, we would all like to be at peace with each other, but unfortunately that's not how things work. And you never understand the kind of trauma that you bring home. This guy, case in point, would have shot everybody, including his own brothers. And how would that be helpful for winning anything? So clearly he's psychotic. 
And oh, yeah. Clearly, there's a, a very deep mental illness here because there's just no way to explain that behavior. There is literally the evidence or anything that's available to the public that they even have is just somebody's word. Not, not that I'm discounting his son. I'm so glad that his son said this is what happened and, you know, his dad was hurt and killed. But there's just nothing and I'm, I searched everywhere and I'm just like, I cannot imagine if that happened to my family member being okay with there being like nothing, you know, just nothing to go off of, nothing to look into, nothing to, to, to test DNA wise or anything, you know? Right. Even if you're not Thomas Lee Dillon, if you're just an innocent hunter out there and you shoot somebody, what are you leaving behind except a casing? And if they don't even know where to look for that casing, there's nothing. And it's, it's, I imagine it would be very easy to get away with something and probably would be getting away with a lot more if it weren't for a lot of honest hunters who just own up to their mistakes and at least stay there and try to get help for the person they just shot. Absolutely. I just wish it was more like that. I wish people were more human, I guess. Yeah. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for ha- thanks for having me on here. I was super excited to be able to do this because I've literally watched and listened, well, watched the 10 minute and then listened to every single one of the episodes. Like I went back and listened to all of them through the past two weeks. So I'm on. Oh my right. gosh, you've been binging. Yes. <laughs> That's great. I'll let everybody know we do 10 minute mysteries live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siècle, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siècle, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts. That's it for tonight, listeners, for photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode. Hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist, Time Cat. This band has been making music in Akron, Ohio since 2011, first as a drum and guitar two-piece, but more recently as a full band bringing back that old-school vintage rock vibe. They get their inspiration from the likes of Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Jefferson Airplane, and David Bowie. 
Its current lineup is comprised of Jerry Sapronetti on vocals, guitar, and piano, Sam Kaler on drums, Colton Huffman on bass, and Donald Allen on guitar. Now, the band has just released a new album called American Spirit Blues just this weekend, and it really touches on the current tumultuous atmosphere dominating the world. The song we're featuring tonight is Don't Get Me Wrong. Jerry said it's about getting tired of the party lifestyle, but still indulging in it. Steve, I think we all reached that point, right? Absolutely. Well, let's have another listen to Don't Get Me Wrong by Time Cat. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.